1: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast. Today's Tuesday, August 7th, 2018. I am Patrick Moran. Coming up on today's show, I have an interview with one of the brightest minds and part of that newer generation of the Buffalo sports media, cover one founder, and now also a contributing writer for the Athletic Buffalo, Eric Turner is my guest today. We talk about a lot of stuff during our chat together, as I get to know Eric better, and I'm sure you will as well. I talk to him about his growing up in the area, his early interest in football, as well as his background, qualifications, and some of the real cutting-edge stuff he's been able to do for quite a while now when it comes to breaking down film and writing about it. I mean, you want to talk about an X's and O's guy, Eric Turner Is an animal in breaking down game film. We talk about that. We talk about a ton more. It's a great chance, like I said, for you fans to get to know one of the real rising stars in the Buffalo mainstream media. And right after that, I have a guy who is positively not one of the real rising stars in the Buffalo mainstream media. I'm talking about the Running with Joe segment featuring my buddy Joe from New York City who refuses to ever divulge his last name on this podcast probably never going to anyway I actually apologize to Joe for screwing him over on this podcast not once but twice in consecutive weeks and then we talk a little bit Buffalo Bills training camp and I'll tell you what here's a spoiler alert Joe is not a fan of NFL training camps So I'm not going to waste any time. Let's get the party started. Here's Eric Turner from Cover One in The Athletic Buffalo, followed by The Running With Joe. Okay, my guest today is the creator of Cover One, a very popular and informative Buffalo Bills site that really excels at breaking down film and the analytics of football. It's helped lead him to a role at the newly formed The Athletic Buffalo, which of course has quickly become like an all-star lineup of bills and sabers journalists. I'm talking about Eric Turner. What's going on, Eric? Thanks for coming on the show today. right, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, the pleasure is definitely all mine. And like I said, you've kind of stepped out from the shadows of being like kind of one of these underground guys that people really (laughs) enjoyed, you know, to joining the big time, joining the mainstream of guys like Tim Graham and John Vogel and such. How does it feel to, 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 uh, you know, to, to join the athletic and become part of that fraternity?
2: Oh, you know, it's uh, obviously an honor to be a part of that team that they assembled at the Athletic Buffalo. And it, you're right, it's been a wild ride, and I'm sure we're going to cover a bunch of it. But um, it's been an awesome ride, and uh, it's just beginning, and it's going to be a fun season. I'm ready.
1: Yeah, and we'll circle back to the Athletic in a few minutes. Let's start here, because this is generally what I do when I have a
2: guest. And I like to go all the way back to the beginning. Where exactly are you from, and where did you grow up? So I grew up in Lockport, New York. So obviously, you know, that's one of the suburbs of Buffalo. Uh, I grew up my whole life there until about a sophomore year uh, of high school where uh, I transferred to Canisius High School. And you played high school football at Canisius there, correct? Yes, sir. I played there uh, all three years there and uh, and then I went on to St. John Fisher College from uh, from after that. So
1: Now, how was Canisius when you were there? I know tradition. I mean, they've had, you know down years here and there but traditionally that's a pretty big uh, powerhouse catholic high school in the western new york area
2: Oh, it's, yeah, it's definitely a powerhouse now, um, not just in the state, but across the country. I mean, they're getting some uh, top-notch recruits uh, there now. Um, When I was there, we weren't good at all. I was, uh, you know, one of the the first classes where they started getting guys from outside of Buffalo and, you know, guys that, you know, came there to play sports. And so um, the AD at the time uh, somehow knew the athletic director in Lockport. I played uh, JV and Lockport, and they somehow knew each other. And um, I was, you know, I want to I say recruited at the time because they weren't really recruiting. But it was that it was that beginning, that inception of them actually picking up some of the top recruits. And so um, that's how I got. I ended up in Buffalo um, that next year and we got a house in Buffalo and that was uh, history. What was this you play when you were playing there? Uh, I played running back uh, primarily, and then I switched between corner and safety on the defensive side. So uh, mainly was uh, toting the rock a a little bit there. So, (laughs) Nice.
1: All right, now we're (laughs) going to talk about more, you know, your love for X's and O's. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But do you remember, you know, really being into the statistical and even, you know, the analytical part of football as a kid? Or is that something that came to you as you got older?
2: Uh, it definitely came as I got older. I uh, have obviously loved the game, played the game my whole life. Uh, but when it comes to like analytics, and I'm talking like statistics and that the advanced stats, it's something I only picked up just a few years ago. Because to me, uh, what I do and what I've always loved is film. I've always enjoyed watching film and and basically deconstructing what the opponent is doing and how to prepare for that and how to make myself better by watching film. So I've always been in the film. But when it came to analytics and how it's blown up the last couple of years, that's Kind of when i get into it but i use analytics as support i, I go to film first and then i use, use analytics to support my theories or, or my uh, story that i'm trying to tell so i don't really start with the the, the analytics and the numbers i start with the film and, and kind of go from there
1: now from doing research on you this goes a long way from film and analytics you sure. got a job at the u.s border patrol actors school and you've worked all over the country i mean firstly What got you interested? What got you into doing something like that? What made you Uh, want to do something like that? I should say.
2: That's a great question, because uh, I went to school for criminal justice with a minor in psychology at Fisher. And so uh, one of my last years there, uh, my criminal justice teacher, um, she asked if I planned on getting into law enforcement. And I said, I, I didn't really know. Uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I was gearing towards and, and classes I was taking obviously were criminal justice courses, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I actually worked security at Fisher during, uh, um, during, this, during the year. And then once they had training camps there, I worked uh, security there, worked the fields when the bills were there. At training camp, so I got to watch them practice and whatnot. Uh, so I was leaning towards that, but she kind of gave me a little push, and um, it, it, you know, started taking uh, uh, doing an internship with the uh, Rochester Sheriff's Department. And once I got into that, and I did some ride-alongs and just saw the different areas of the Sheriff's Department, I knew that's what I wanted to do. So two weeks after I graduated St. John Fisher, uh, I had a, a brother in the military out in San Diego, and he goes you know what, why don't you move out here? You can stay with us for the first month or two while you set up and get a job here in law enforcement here because here they offer a test for whatever department or whatever agency you're looking for every week. Whereas in Buffalo, they, I mean, Buffalo, they were offering, I think, their uh, city police jobs maybe once every couple of years. So the opportunity- was on the West Coast. So two weeks after graduation, I packed up my, my little Grand Am and I moved across the country. And that very first week I got there, I took the Border Patrol exam. Uh, I got uh, the results back that day. And within a few months, I was in Artesia, New Mexico uh, at the Academy. And um, I started in Southern California, about an hour and a half east of um, San Diego in a little town called El Centro. So uh, yeah, it was, it's was it been a fun journey. And I, you know, I took a lot of risks uh, moving out there and everything, but I wouldn't change it for the world.
1: What was it like living out in California? I mean, quite obviously compared to, you know, upstate New York, that's like a complete culture shock,
2: uh, a complete culture shock. And obviously the cost of living was ridiculous. I mean, yeah. one of my first my first apartments out there was a studio It was 450 square feet. I paid over a thousand a month for it. Wow. And I mean, there's there's cockroaches every once in a while you see them so it was uh not the best living but i look back and you know living in pacific beach you know right near the beach and all the the shopping and restaurants and everything and you're a kid right out of college i walk outside and i see you know where i live i I look back and i'm I'm, you know i was blessed to have that opportunity Uh, but it definitely was a culture shock especially once i moved to el centro because um it's just a different uh world down there you know so it's it's definitely completely different than buffalo Now, didn't you start coaching a little bit of football when you were in Southern California? I did. I coached at a local high school there, um, and uh, I started off with the JV team, coaching the running backs, Uh, but then, um, you know, I moved up uh, to um, coach the offense a little bit, but then I got a transfer a couple years in and uh, moved back to upstate New York.
1: Now, I brought up on you, of course, and you're an alumnus of the Scouting Academy. You worked as a National Scout for NDT Scouting. And you, you know, you've previously done work that's been published at Billsmafia.com, Scout.com, which by the way, I wrote for them back in the day as well. <laughs> and the and the Bills wire. You know, how were those experiences for you? How did those help shape you as a writer?
2: You know, that's a great question. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where uh, when you're trying to, you know, when you start a blog and you're trying to get noticed and you're trying to get exposure, um, it's good to just write for anyone and anyone, anyone and anything willing to publish your stuff. And uh, so I took, you know, I took pride in that. And um, but, you know, as much as I, I wrote for different um, companies and great teams, you know, as you mentioned, NDT Scouting and whatnot, Bill's Mafia, um, you know, it's one of those things that the biggest takeaways from that is not just the exposure, but the interaction and networking that you gain from that. And that's kind of what um, the Scouting Academy did for me as well, because I was trying to get in, to in, into evaluation And, uh, I, you know, I knew how to talk football, but I didn't know the language, the the entire language and what the scouts are using and the paradigms and templates that they use when they're writing up these reports. So, um, I, you know, I learned a bunch there at the Academy. And then of course, the, like I said, the biggest takeaway from all this, is networking. And that's that's one thing that I was always taught at a young age. That's one thing that helped me when I was at Canisius being the, the new kid. I knew that a lot of kids I went to school with were probably more well off than I was. So I wanted to, um, you know, network and become friends with those guys. And because that's, you know, that's what life's about, you know, that networking and, and, and building those relationships, because in the end, that's that's gonna what's going to help you in the long run. Sure, absolutely.
1: How important is it, do you think, in your opinion, to have, get your stuff published anywhere you can, you know, because you're holding your craft. And so many young kids today, you know, they want to be sports journalists and they want to go to college. And then they think they're going to go straight from college to covering the Washington Redskins, you know what I mean? Or writing for Sports Illustrated. not necessarily work that way. It's really important to get as much stuff published to get that experience under your belt.
2: You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. And you're right, because uh, as you mentioned at the start of the show, you know, I, I I did it in a non-traditional way. And I think that a lot of people are recognizing that, that you can do it. You can make it to these positions without uh, going to school for journalism. Uh, but it just takes uh, it takes a grind. It takes a lot of work. Don't get me wrong. It takes a lot of work and commitment, to, like you said, to refining your craft. So um, that's definitely something. Yes, you want to get your stuff published and everything like that. But um, as we all know, uh, you can start a website. Anyone can start a website. Anyone can start a podcast. Um, the quality of that that work is what matters. It doesn't matter who you write for, you know, uh, you know per se. Uh, it's the quality of your content. So yes, refine your craft. But if you if you're good at one thing, for example, I'm good at breaking down film. Naxos knows that was one thing. That was my mission statement. That's what I always want to come back to. So if you're good at certain things, I want you to you know strengthen that and obviously build that. And then, you know, do little things on the side to, to um, supplement your your craft and supplement your game, and what you know what could help you move on to the next level.
1: What inspired you to go from writing for other people and having your work seen in other sites to starting your own? What inspired you to start Cover One?
2: Well, it, it was one of those things. Like I said, I, I moved to upstate New York, and I uh, I was coaching here for a few years, coaches an offensive coordinator local high school. And, uh, afterwards, uh, I, I, realized that, you know, I can't coach that much longer because I have a, I work uh, shift work. So we're rotating our shift every month. So every month I have a different shift. So it was really hard to continue coaching. So I wanted to continue learning the game, continue passing on some knowledge of what I know about the game. And, uh, that was one way to do it is to, you know, start a website, start a blog. And so I just went on Google, looked around what um, you know, sites and, and, and people that were writing about the Bills and and how I could fit in and what I would bring that other guys wouldn't. And so, again, I focused on that craft and started building in, in, in that way from the ground up. And then, it, honestly, this getting to write for, you know, a national uh, media site like the Athletic Buffalo, I, I, that's not my... That's not my, you know, final goal. I, I honestly didn't plan on getting to that level. Uh, it was something that just took off from Cover One, and then, you know, as you get more exposure, as you uh, again, as you mentioned, write for other publications and get noticed. And I mean, social media is, uh, I mean, it's changing the game. So sure. it, without tw- without Twitter. I mean, I wouldn't be here right now. I wouldn't be in that position with Athletic. My cover One wouldn't be where it's at. I mean, a lot of traffic is is uh, driven from social media, and uh, people people understand that. And that's why, you know, like I said, anyone uh, anyone is and, and wants to start a site, that's the way to go because um, it's it's very it's at your fingertips now. So um, that's definitely something that uh, I took pride in. Again, the quality at work at Cover One, and then somehow, you know, the Athletic came calling. Well. You brought up a lot of good points.
1: And one specifically you said that really stands out to me. And I have a lot of, you know, young people who listen to this show who aspire to be, you know, a blogger or, you know, a sports writer, whatever you want to call it. There's so many definitions of the word nowadays. But you said you need to stand out and do something different. You were evaluating what's out there. And you said, you know what? This is what I need to do that's going to be different and stand out. And I think that's one mistake that a lot of people who start their own blog or work for other blogs make today, is that there's so many Buffalo Bills fan sites that are dedicated to news, you know? And you can present it in a certain amount of way, but at the end of the day, you're just spilling out the same thing over and over, just maybe written differently, but it's the same thing. How important is it for people out there listening? Find your own niche, you know, do something, find something that not everyone else is doing out there.
2: There's no doubt about it. Like I said, that was film was always my my niche and and my calling. And so um, while there were a few guys out there doing it, um, I just felt I could do it better. I just felt that I could bring a better product. And so you know, it took a couple of years. I mean, I literally had to teach myself how to do video editing. Again, I didn't go to school for any of this, so I had to teach myself how to do video editing, uh, how to you know just record stuff, screen record stuff, and and uh, refine the quality of videos that you know I was creating and how to. Um, Um, properly um, do a teleconference with a player when they want to break down film like little things like that took a lot of time that's why I said earlier you know uh, if you're good at one thing you know maximize and strengthen that skill but then find out some other areas that where you can add to that and and refine that skill you know that supplemental skill uh, because again video editing is a, is a whole niche in itself so um, you know it's it's one thing to use still pictures in an article when you're writing about x's and O's it's an, you take it to another level if you can video edit it if you can uh, add graphics on top. So um, there are so many layers to uh, being just a film guy or X's and O's guy um, that you can really maximize to make your product top notch.
1: Well, I'll give you a little bit of an eagle stroke here. There's not many people who do this that are on your level. Certainly not with the Buffalo Bills, if (laughs) not the NFL, you know, period. How exhausting is it the kind of work that you present. I mean, it's being a columnist or a reporter that could be tired enough. That's a grind. I mean, your gig is to really dig deep in the film, deeper than most people are willing or even able to do. You know what I'm saying? How exhausting is that for you?
2: No, you nailed it because you know when you're writing a commentary piece, when you're writing uh, a column uh, to get you know giving your opinion, it's very macro. You can pull uh, a bunch of information from all these different sources. Of course, that takes time and research and intelligence and all that. I get that. But when you're trying to, uh, for example, break down a play, you're you're looking at you know 22 guys in the frame and how in piecing it together. So it does take a lot more dissection. It takes a lot more uh, skill to. You know, obviously see what other players do and how they are reacting to certain stimuli that's happening in a play. But you also got to know the X and O's part of it. You got to know what their assignment is and say a cover three. Um, so it's very it's it's more micro and it's more centralized, as you mentioned. And uh, it does take a lot more time. But for me, that's that's where the gold is. You know, those are the, the nuggets, the good details, because that's what's going to separate you. Uh, from anyone else that's just doing uh, a normal X's and O's piece for, uh, you know, a national publication. If, if you can uh, weed out the little details that go into a play, that go into an assignment, that's going to separate you.
1: Now, we've talked about The Athletic a couple times already. How did that happen that you ultimately would end up joining The Athletic?
2: Uh, that was just a process I had been following the athletic for a while I was a subscriber for a long time I knew that the um, the, the issues that were going on in Buffalo I don't live in Buffalo in about six and a half hours but I still was I was following what was going on with say you know the Buffalo news and whatnot and how media was changing overall uh, in that landscape and so I, I had been following the athletic and uh, you know cover one had kind of the same uh, model behind it where we're not We're not going for clicks. You know, we want people that enjoy our quality content, um, that are willing to contribute, uh, to, uh, Cover one and and improving the quality, improving the, the the contributors, adding more contributors to give you more content. Um, so we had the same model as Athletic. So when the Athletic was, you know, coming in um, to start this season, I, I, we saw it coming. You just saw it coming with how the Buffalo News kind of, uh, you know, took a hit and the guys were leaving there. And when guys like Tim Graham leave, and then you see like you know Matthew Fairburn from uh, New York Upstate leave, and you see these big name guys, you know, something's coming. And I was contacted from them and, uh, you know, obviously asked to write about the X's and O's. And as soon as they called, I said, absolutely, because our philosophies um, and, and mission statements align perfectly. So uh, a lot of the stuff that you're going to see me write for The Athletic, you, you could look back at what co- I've done for cover one and what I still do for cover one and and see that it's it's perfectly in line uh, as far as the, the mission statements go.
1: Is that a little bit of a pinch me moment for you? Because, you know, and I can tell just by the way you're talking and presenting yourself, you know, you're just a guy, you're a fan who really knows a lot about football and made a decision that this is how I'm going to present it, you know, with film and stuff like that. And next thing you know, a guy like Tim Graham, who's, you know, been around forever, he's one of the biggest yeah. names in sports journalism. Matt Fairborn, you know, he's a rising star in the game. John Vogel covered the mm-hmm. Sabres from the news for 16 years. These guys, now all of a sudden, you're on the same team working with them. You know, is that kind of like a little bit of a pinch yourself moment just because of the magnitude of what you built, where you came from, you know, starting out small, just running for blogs, doing your own site. And now next thing you know, bam, you're part of a very impressive team, you know, that frankly is out there battling with the Buffalo news right now for, for supremacy when it comes to Buffalo mainstream, uh, you know, online content, pre-media, whatever you want to call it. You know what I'm saying? Right.
2: Yeah, it's, it's surreal. Like I mentioned earlier in the show, it's, uh, I can't believe that, you know, I've gotten to this, uh, this, uh, you know, height right now, but it's I'm riding the wave. Like I said, I'm just a guy, I'm just a guy who started a blog. And so it is very surreal, but I also take pride in, you know, what my name is on. So, um, you're going to get the best for me, uh, on the athletic. And, and again, I think that the way I present it, uh, you know, present X's and O's for the athletic buffalo is again unlike anywhere else. So I do have an extreme amount of confidence in what I do and what I bring to the athletic. And I think uh, Matt uh, said it the other day to me when we were talking. Um, we bring each of us brings a little something different to the team. So uh, of course, I'd like to pick their brain and, and learn the you know broadcasting and journalism side of things because again, that's that's something I, I am not that good at, and I admit that. And that's why I have two editors for cover One. So um, the team, the team that they have. at at the athletic Buffalo and, uh, the editing team and just the talent. I mean, it is surreal. And again, I'm just riding the wave.
1: (laughs) I hear you, man. And you know, like guys like you and Ryan Stimson and Chris Baker, Chris Baker's my guy. I love Chris, you know, at the athletic, you guys kind of represent that new generation of media. One where simply reporting on a game or a beat anymore, or just having an opinionated column and nothing else. That doesn't cut it anymore in today's you know consumer world, the way people read stuff. You got to be more versatile, more versatile than ever in how you present your coverage. And I think that's something that a site like The Athletic gets. While there's still a lot of newspapers out there, traditional newspapers, they just don't get it yet. You know what I mean? Although some of them are probably starting to take notice and they're kind of adjusting and understanding that they better get you know with the times or they're going to sure. fall behind permanently. You know what I mean? You feel like Absolutely. guys like you and Chris and Ryan, you guys represent... That new age of media, you know what I mean?
2: Sure, and uh, you know we kind of I think we do our work that way, where we have that pressure on our shoulders because again we've come uh, through a non traditional sense uh, up through the ranks, and so uh, I think as the media, as media has changed overall, I think that as my buddy Aaron Quinn says, you know you're you're getting a more educated, uh, consumer. So, uh, you have to elevate your game. And as I said, you have to keep learning and refining your game on a daily basis. And that's what I always tell guys, you know, um, I, one of the reasons I started this site uh, cover one is because I like to learn more about the game and the trends and, and, and even the video editing side of things. So, um, you, sh- if you're not continue to learn, if you're not adapting, if you're not adjusting, you're falling behind. And if you want to stay on top, if you want to have quality content like the athletics bring in, uh, you have that pressure on yourself and you put that pressure on yourself and, and you relish that because um, that's that's how we got here. And the the quality shouldn't drop off just because you made it to the top. Well, let's
1: discuss a little bit of your actual work now and a little bit of the Buffalo Bills. So we're taping this on Monday night. Thank God we're not taping this on Sunday night because the Bills traded for Corey Coleman. Want yeah. to get your initial thoughts on that deal What you've seen, I know you've kind of went scurrying to find film on him and, you know, kind of break him down a little bit. Based on what you know, what you've seen, what are your initial thoughts on him, his potential, and how he might fit with this team?
2: Oh, he's got extreme potential, a huge upside. I mean, they obviously didn't give up. Uh, too much to get him. It's a win-win uh, regardless of what direction he goes, good or bad. Um, but he's a guy that's gonna um, you know help this offense, create some explosive plays because he's fast, he has um, speed uh, that can stretch the field vertically. Uh, he's a guy that you know if you get it to him in wide receiver screens, he can make people miss. he's good in short area. Uh, I think that he can take a top off the defense and I think the bills need that element. Ah, uh, this year, regardless of what quarterbacks in there. And so I, I like the move. I like the value. um and I think that I've just got done watching from year one, year, year two of him. And when he's healthy, he's shown a tremendous improvement. And so um year three usually is that year that typically receivers you know, kind of bust out. and a guy like uh, Coleman is probably even behind a curb curve in that department because he's coming he came from, you know, Baylor. Uh, you know, an offense that was almost like a basketball team. So if if the wide receiver, the primary receiver, say Coleman wasn't getting the ball, he didn't have to run a route. They didn't make them run routes. So that route tree was very thin. Uh, He didn't really know much about as far as the nuances of being a receiver. So uh, I think that, you know, he's still a little raw. But what I saw from year one to year two, even in Cleveland, even with their quarterback situations, um, I think that it's very promising. And again, I think there's, it's low risk. So it was a good move by Brandon Bean.
1: Last week, you wrote about why the Yankee concept will be a big part of new offensive coordinator Brian DeBull's offense. What the hell is a Yankee concept? Explain, <laughs> explain that to the listeners out there.
2: It's just basically a, a two-man route combination. Um, say the receiver off to the left runs a deep dig route, so maybe a 14 to 18-yard deep crossing route, deep over route, and you're going to have the receiver off to the right-hand side running a deep post. And uh, It's a two-man route, route combination that attacks single high coverages. So As you know, Shady McCoy is still one of the best in the game. Say on first down, you have a defense that wants to stack the box, wants to play a single high set, a cover three, a cover one with one safety deep uh, to help stop Shady in the run game. Well, you can run a little play-action Yankee concept like Dable did at Alabama to create explosive plays. If that safety uh, jumps that that dig route by, say, Corey Coleman uh, across the middle, well, guess what? You have a one-on-one with that uh, receiver off to the right-hand side running the post, and that's your explosive play. So that's something that Dable ran a lot of at Alabama. Uh, if you go check it out at the Athletic Buffalo, you'll see Calvin Ridley um, had a, a couple of big explosive plays last year running the Yankee concept. And it's just something I saw in camp that they had run with uh, Nather Peterman at the helm, and Robert Foster was running the post, and Foster had, had a beat on the corner, but the ball was underthrown. So it's something that they showed shown in camp that Dable had last year as well. Uh, it's definitely a cool little uh, article that if you go check it out, the Athletic, bu- athletic Buffalo, you'll be uh, definitely uh, pleasantly surprised with it, honestly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a solid plug right there. Props for that. Based on, <laughs> based on what you've seen and studied so far, and granted, listen, man, it is so goddamn premature. They haven't even played a preseason game yet, but how are you feeling about Josh Allen's progress so far in training camp?
2: Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I was uh, quite impressed, uh, primarily from a mental standpoint, because we know his strengths and weaknesses when it comes to his throwing, his uh, his ball placement, his inaccuracies and whatnot, and uh, his mechanics and and that stuff. It's he's not gonna have that cleaned up by now. That stuff that Dable and uh, you know David Cully and those guys are gonna have to work on on a daily basis and stay on top of those mechanics. But. From a mental standpoint, um, it's something that most you know, NFL draft or draft Twitter guys won't tell you. Um, you know, Guys that are in draft Twitter don't have a lot of access to All-22. And I, I say this, I am in that loop. I get a lot of All-22. And uh, if you look at Josh Allen's uh, career at Wyoming, uh, as far as All-22 goes, there is literally five games from him on the market, and two of those games were some of his worst games. So you didn't really get to see a, a good enough sample of, of his mental processing of coverages, you know, how he works through progressions. That's just not enough passes to see from the all 22 angle, where you can see why the defense is dropping to this area and why he made this uh, read and threw it to this spot. Um, so that's something that a lot of people aren't talking about. But I think that just based on that, those five games that I saw in all 22 from Josh Allen's season last year, I think mentally he is further along than I had seen on film. And so, um, I think that's promising, and that's uh, something fans should definitely cling to. I'm not saying throwing him him in right away, uh, but the downside of that, the one thing I didn't like at camp and why I was really harsh with him at camp, uh, was his his uh, body behavior, his mental toughness. Uh, he got on a in a really bad rut. Um, on that first day of practice, you know, of course you got the rookie jitters and, you know, sure. so a couple bad plays he strung together in a row and he got down on himself. And that's something you didn't really see too much of, um, on film with him where his, uh, his lack of mental toughness and his body behavior, you just saw him get down and then he just couldn't really make throws. You didn't see a lot of that on film. So I was really surprised to see that. And I was really, uh, I, I you know, I was critical of him at that because in your first practice, I get the rookie jitters, but you know, everyone's watching you, You're including your teammates and his coaching staff. And I thought that he didn't handle it well when things weren't going well. And he physically showed it to the point where his teammates and his coaches, uh, Coach Dable, had to pick him up. And, of course, that's what you want. But I just thought he didn't handle it that well. And that's something I've been paying attention to from here on out. So a little good, a little bad. But I think fans should definitely be um, ecstatic about the future with Josh Allen.
1: Talking to Eric One from the Athletic Buffalo in Cover 1. You did some film study with now former Bill Center, Eric Wood. How was that? What did you guys watch together? And what was that experience like being with him and, and, you know, doing some film study with Eric Wood?
2: Those are those moments are really um, I mean, I, I again, I, I'm living in, in cloud nine because I get to sit down and watch film with the likes of Eric Wood, Lorenzo Alexander, Jordan Poyer. Um, the Eric Wood piece was so cool because, um, you know, he's not on the team anymore. Neither is that offensive coordinator. So we were able to, you know pull back the curtain a little bit on the nuts and bolts of the center position in an offense because, you know, a lot of people uh, knock Eric Wood his last couple years and his play and how maybe it deteriorated and obviously dealing with injuries. Um, And that's that's fine. That's those are all valid concerns and, and probably some strong points from people. But I don't think a lot of people understood like what goes into the center position, and how important it is to an offense, and how you know there's a lot of communication going on uh, from the time they break the huddle to the time the whistle is blown, and a lot of that rests on that guy's shoulders. So it was cool to for him to uh, you know kind of point out some of the language and some of the responsibilities that the center uh, is is you know responsible for, and and I think a, a lot of fans uh, enjoyed that piece uh, just because it kind of peeled back the curtain and we kind of uh we uh outlined some things that. Um, you know, Rick Dennison does on offense. So that kind of helps us out in the division now that he's with the Jets. So that was kind of fun. How concerned are you with the
1: Bills offensive line this year with Wood gone, Incognito gone, Glenn, well, Glenn, you know, didn't play much at all last year. He's still a good talent. He's gone too now. So arguably their three most talented linemen from last year, all gone. How are you feeling about the line based on what you've seen on film right now and going forward?
2: I I am worried. I am. Obviously, the center position's up for grabs. Um, and then you throw in the quarterback position. So two of the most important positions on the field are up for grabs right now. Uh, and, but you know, if, after talking to Eric, what I kind of, um, you know, I kind of relaxed a little bit because when you think about the guys that are, you know, in there now, you had mentioned Glenn, well, Dawkins played a good amount, uh, last year and it was a promising, uh, rookie year for him being thrown into the fire like that at left tackle. Um, so he's got, you know, some games under his belt, something that uh, McDermott always, um, talks about when, about that rookie class last year, uh, then you you throw in, you know, uh, Dukas, I know he's kind of going from right guard to left guard, but throwing John Miller back in at right guard uh, in a scheme that fits his um, his skill set better. Um, I think is going to help the offensive line. So he's got experience. So that's another good thing, as Eric would mention. Um, Russell Bodine, coming over from the Bengals, has played in a very diverse and balanced offense. Um, and uh, they ran a lot of similar uh, pass protections and and run plays that the, the Bills are going to run this year. Very diverse in that regard. Um, and Ryan Groy, I mean, he's played everywhere on the offensive line. When he played for Eric Wood a couple years ago, he was pretty darn good. And so um, right now, I I know they're listed as co-starters, but those two guys have experience any way you want to cut it. And Jordan Mills, uh, so far in camp, I've been pretty impressed with him. I know a lot of fans are down on him and and want and, and believe he's just replaceable, but the staff likes him, and uh, he looks like he's gotten stronger. Uh, he's he's gotten a little cleaner in his kick slide. We'll see how that holds up versus uh, some top-notch rushers and defensive guys uh, this coming year. But um, I am worried, but I also. See, I I temper my expectations. I I, I think that I love the scheme, and I think the scheme will help them if they run a little more uh, RPOs than they did last year. They were, like, bottom five in that department. RPOs can help your offensive line. RPOs will get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quicker. And RPOs uh, show, like, play action, and that does stunt pass rushers. So they have to think about run and then transition the pass. So little things like that can help this offensive line. But uh, I think we do have to have our expectations low. And I think that's, that's the way we should approach this team, especially on the offensive side of the ball.
1: One more bills question. And then we'll wrap up with the mini lightning round. So preseason games start this week, couple days from now. In fact, Not counting the quarterbacks because, of course, I'm sure you're keenly interested in how the quarterbacks look and get an opportunity to get some film and break that down on them. But not counting them or a few guys on the Buffalo Bills that you're really going to have your eye on over this next, you know, two, three, four preseason games.
2: Man, that's a good question. I think uh, just the the running back position, the the you know third and fourth spot uh, for that running back position between, uh, um, you know, the Keith Fords, the Marcus Murphys, um, the Travaris Cadets, and Taiwan Jones. I think that the way that shakes out, I'm I'm always paying attention to that. I'm a big Cadet fan, and when I compare. Uh, what he can do out of the backfield as a receiver um, and just the balance he brings, even in the run game and systems he's played in. I mean, think about who, who he's played for it. down in New Orleans and that Sean Payton complex offense. I think what he brings uh, to the offense as uh, a guy on third down that can come in and catch some passes and run routes like a, a receiver. And then, of course, the return game. So that I think Cadet's always on my radar. Cadet and Jones. Uh, Keith Ford's had a fantastic camp. But I just I don't know if he can um, bypass a guy like Chris Ivory because those guys kind of have similar skill sets. So I think uh, that's one guy I'm going to be watching very closely uh, so far in camp on the defensive side. Hmm, I'd, I'd have to stick with the secondary just because of the changes uh, in the slot corner position. That's something I you know we continue to talk about Cover One because uh, I'm a big fan of Leonard Johnson and what he did, and I know he just signed with the uh, the Giants. Uh, but I, I I worry about having a rookie slot corner and Teron Johnson from w- Weber State uh, starting. I worry about Games Phillips Gaines, uh, Gaines starting in, in that you know nickel slot area just because he uh, struggles versus slot uh, receivers and two way uh, wide receivers that can, you know that can product, uh, produce produce two way goes. So uh, those are two positions and, and guys that I, I definitely would uh, keep an eye on uh, this preseason.
1: All right, here's what we're going to do. I do this with every guest. We're going to have a little mini lightning round. Just going to ask you a a handful of random questions. Not much deep thought required at all. Just whatever you think of, that's your answer. Spit it out. Sound good?
2: Sounds good. Let's do
1: it. All right, man. Favorite non-sports related activity to do when you're away from football, writing about it or watching film?
2: Oh, that's a good one. I'm a canine handler. So I I go to work every day with a dog. So if I'm not uh, watching film or breaking down film, I'm spending time with uh, my three dogs and my wife. And uh, that's pretty simple life for me, man. So I'd say playing with the dogs and hanging out with the wife. Nice. Okay. And all the time you've been involved, you know, in sports media, at any level, who's
1: been your favorite player to cover, to break down film and to write about?
2: I'd have to go with a Sean McCoy. I just think he's an elite athlete, and we were lucky enough to uh, get him from the Eagles. And, you know, seeing the way he's changed uh, his running style in the different schemes that we've had in Buffalo, I think he's, uh, he's obviously a dynamic athlete and it's been fun to watch and cover. Now, name a
1: former football player, I don't care if it's a Buffalo Bill or from any other team, that you wish you were old enough that you would have been able to cover him when he played.
2: Uh, I mean, I'll be a homer here. I think Jim Kelly, uh, just because of the responsibilities he had in that K gun offense, I think he would be fun to actually you know watch some all twenty two with or break down some film with, uh, just because of what he did with those offenses back in the early nineties. What's your favorite city to
1: visit? San Diego. Nice. You know, dude, I, I've never been out into California. God, I want to be out there so bad.
2: Oh, I mean, I lived like I said, I lived there before uh, coming back here. So uh, it's definitely uh, besides home. It's it's definitely my second favorite city.
1: Now, you have a lot of good friends in the media, blogger world, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't matter. Mix them both together. But who would you consider your closest friend?
2: Uh, that's tough because so many people have been integral to getting to where I'm at now, but a guy that I've kind of, um, uh, somehow our paths crossed, uh, again, after having, you know, a relationship with his sister-in-law, uh, had to be Chad from the by the Blade. He's editor over there. Um, and he's uh, definitely a guy that I've come up with through the ranks and learned a lot from, uh, in the last couple of years. Sweet.
1: All right. Second, last question here. If Twitter were to send you a note and say, yo, man, Eric, you're only going to be allowed to follow one person now on Twitter. No one else, just one person only. Who would that one person be?
2: Oh, that's easy. I think Matt Waldman from RSP. Uh, I think, he, you know, he's a great follow. You can learn a lot, uh, whether you're just trying to watch some football or if you're trying to get the the X's and O's, the nuts and bolts about evaluation. He's, uh, he's one of the best followers out there on Twitter.
1: All right, sweet. Here's my last question, the same one I always ask everyone. You can have three dinner guests, any era, Dead or alive does not matter who you got.
2: Oh, uh I'd start with Bill Parcells. I'd go with uh Walter Payton and then Peyton Manning. Nice. All right. It's it's all over the place, but I I just think uh, those three guys were um, offered some awesome, um, you know, motivation. Obviously, you can you can learn a lot from three guys like that. So very inspirational guys as well.
1: You know, you hear the term football guy all the time. You really are a football guy. (laughs) Easy to get that sense.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I definitely, uh, it's, it's something I do every day and I obviously uh, take a lot of pride in it. So uh, you're not, you're not far, far off, far off from there.
1: (laughs) Everyone, (laughs) Eric Turner, make sure you follow him on Twitter cover underscore one underscore. That's a weird yes, Twitter handle, but I do like it. it. <laughs> it's hard to say, but it's easy to do. Let's put it that way,
2: okay? You're tell you're telling me. I-, I wish I could get, you know, an easier one, but I just gotta settle for this nah, one. No, <laughs> man. Stay with that one. Make sure you follow
1: him on Twitter. Check out his work at the Athletic Buffalo. Definitely worth a subscription. I'm a subscriber. Easy subscription right there, of course. Be sure to check out Cover One Net, their their premium content as well. They got so much good stuff on there. Eric, I really appreciate you taking your time. I know you're busy with a lot of other things going on, getting ready for preseason, a lot of exciting stuff ahead for you and for the
2: Bills. Thanks for your time, buddy. Thanks, Pat. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yo, dude, you mad at me over last week?
0: (laughs) You know, Pat, you are like the biggest Nazi when it comes to sound quality on every podcast we're on. Like, I got to make sure that, like, there's no cars driving by my apartment. I got to make sure the air conditioner's off. It has to be crystal clear. And what happens? You don't press record. I fucked it up. I dropped the ball. For those of you who don't know what I'm
1: talking about, I did tape a segment with Joe last week, and what happened was about five seconds into our spiel, I screwed up. I said, you know what? Let's start that over. So no big deal. I stopped the recording, thought I hit start again, started going. We ended up having, which by the way, it's a pretty goddamn good segment. We talked a good 25 to 30 minutes. I go after I'm done talking to you. I hang up. We talk for a few minutes after. I load the shit up onto the computer, and lo and behold, the only recording I have was the first five seconds of our interview when I screwed up. Before I went back and redid it, so when I went back, I never actually hit
0: record again. So, my bad. We could have, we could have won an award, a Marconi Award. Richard Dice could have like given us Podcast of the Year off that segment, and you blew it. I did blow it, and you know what? I also owe you an apology for two
1: weeks ago. I've kind of screwed you over twice now because two weeks ago we had a decent segment. And I didn't run a promo for you, so I went a little bit too under the radar. I uh, I didn't let you
0: share the spotlight. Who was it with Don Beebe? Was that the Don Beebe episode? Yeah, and the one before that too. When I, we were talking about the media, you didn't promote me either. That's two times you have not promoted me. You rather promote chicken wings and whatever, but it's <laughs> me, Joe. The running with Joe, no, he's he's the dark match of the podcast, okay? Like, who? oh, yeah, he's going against some jobber versus a, 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 versus the town guy. All right, Thanks, man, bro. I'm going to make it up to you. I'm going to make it
1: up to you. And we're going to talk about chicken wings, by the way, in a few minutes. Before that, though, let's talk about the Buffalo Bills. We'll get serious for just a couple minutes here. I'm looking at the recorder. The light is red. It is moving. So I'm not going to fuck this up again. Give me your thoughts on training camp. What are we, 10, 11 days in right now? After you've watched, or I don't want to say watch, but you've certainly read on Twitter, seen some of the pressers and some of the highlights and shit like that,
0: what are your thoughts right now on training camp after 10, 11 days or so? This is going to be an evergreen take. Like, in two years from now, if if God, God help us and God, you know, warranted, we still have the, Moran, you know, the Pat Moran podcast and I'm doing the run-in still. I will say this in two years. Like, I would have said this five years ago. I hate training camp i hate training camp coverage it is just the most watered down overbearing instant like reaction to stupid videos of like footage online of josh allen or this player and then you have all these other you know subtle subtleties of like this player is having like a great camp and and this is a new system i've watched the bills for 30 years man okay and every year it's always the same thing where it's just like you know, hope's hope, you know, whatever, spring's eternal, whatever the hell that saying is. And I just have always not liked liked it at all. Because I remember, man, when it comes to like coverage of like teams past when it comes to spring, you know, spring training, uh when it comes to training camp. I remember when Trent Edwards had like the best training camp ever under Chan Gailey his first year and he lit it up in the preseason games and everyone was like, "Oh wow, he is definitely going to be the starter this year." Yep. Can't wait. And what happens? He gets cut after 2 weeks. I remember when Sean Merriman got here with uh, Marcel Darius like the first year there. The first preseason game, they played the Bears and they got 10 sacks in that game. And I remember it was like, "Oh wow, look, the defense is back. Look at how great this is." And the defense was a freaking junkyard fire that entire year. I remember in 2013, the first year of Mike Pennon's defense, the Bills played Washington in the third preseason game. You know, the, the really important preseason game, which I don't know who the hell put, you know, put that phrase into, like, a fact. And Rex Grossman and the Washington defense ha- offense had over 300 yards on the Bills' defense in the first half. And you know what happened that year? The Bills' defense set, set a franchise record in sacks. Like, there's so many instances where just the preseason, the training camp, when when guys look good, and it doesn't mean squat. Like, there's always that running back that everyone loves, like, you know, Xavier Oman or someone that's like, oh, this guy has to make the team, or Brandon O'Reilly. This guy's gonna make the team because he's catching passes on the fourth quarter of a meaningless game. It doesn't mean shit. And this year. It's worse than ever because Josh Allen's here, and everything from charting throws to you know snaps with the third team, the first team, the second team, the fifth team—it's just annoying. And I I just want, I, and I hate preseason too. When the when that shit starts, I'm I'm miserable as fuck. I hate all of it. August football is horrible. If it was up to me, I would just completely close off camps. I'd actually have kids there. The kids can be there. They can watch the, the team play, practice and get stupid autographs or whatever the hell kids do these days. And that's it. That's how my August football would be.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, man. Two things you said really caught my attention. One of them was Trent Edwards. I tell people this all the time. I haven't been to camp in the, this year or last year because you know because of Florida. But all the camps I went to, whether I was you know doing some reporting, blogging, just sitting there as a fan, whatever, it doesn't even matter. Trent Edwards. Always for the, you know, well, not always, he was here a couple of years. He always looked incredible in, in camp. He looked amazing in t-shirts and in shorts and even, you know, equipment when the Bullets weren't real. He did. He was the best training camp quarterback I think I've ever seen on the Bills. That's one thing. And the other thing, and I agree with you 100%, that third preseason game, God, that's such an overrated thing that it's an important game. No, it's not. The starters do play more. That part is true. But you know what? They still ain't running shit. They're not showing you anything. That offense, they're not pulling out the playbook. It's still vanilla as it can be. Nobody does anything in the preseason. The only difference is the starters have more than a cup of coffee. So I do agree with you for the most part. I mean, I do think training camp is a little more exciting than what you think it is. But for the most part, it can get annoying. But one thing we do like are trades. And ever since Brandon B became GM of this team, god damn it. There are trades, and I'm talking summer training camp, even preseason. It happened again on Sunday night. The Buffalo Bills gave up, what, a seventh-round pick in 2020 to Cleveland. They got rid of a guy clearly they didn't want. They wanted to get rid of him and cut ties and start over. The Bills get wide receiver Corey Coleman. We all know that the Bills' wide receiver depth right now is <laughs> not set in stone, and I'm being really, really generous when I say that. What are your thoughts right now? On the Bills acquiring Corey Coleman,
0: um, it's a low risk, high reward deal that I don't want to give Bean too much credit because it seems like if I'm going by Twitter, and that's the worst way to go by anything, and but I go by that anyway. Yeah, you do. It's it, there. There seems to be like a reaction. Like if you're not, if you don't think this trade is awesome, you're an idiot. But then at the same time, those people who love the tr- who hate the trade or don't really like it, are like shitting on it or whatever. It's just a, a lot of reactions to the reactions is what I'm trying to articulate. Here's the deal. This guy is someone that was supposed to be that, you know, he was, he's was. he been a disappointment in Cleveland. And I, I'll say this, I'm I'm a, a bit concerned because Cleveland's first-round picks for the last like six years have been awful. So it's like, oh great, we're, we're getting one of their like, you know, tra- one of their guys that has not been officially termed as a bust. Like they don't exactly have a pedigree of being good at drafting uh, anyone in the first round. So with this guy, you know, with uh, Coleman, I'm kind of in a, you know, we'll, we'll see and wait, but like he's, he's, he broke his hand twice. He had a little bit of the dropsies uh in Cleveland, which isn't good. Obviously uh, he did have, uh, he had five different quarterbacks throw him footballs in two years, which is remarkable considering he's played something like 17 games. So that means like in 17 games, he's had five different quarterbacks throw him the football, which mm-hmm. is just, Remarkable. And this year he could go into uh, a situation where we'll have, he'll have three quarterbacks throwing him the ball, maybe. So, you know, it's it's a, it's a, it's a fine deal. I don't want to, like, extend, give, like, you know, you know, act like Bean is, like, the greatest GM of all time. I mean, Doug Whaley did this, too. I mean, Doug Whaley gave up a seventh rounder for Mike Williams, and we thought he ripped off Tampa Bay and it blew up in our face, and Mike Williams was nothing here.
1: I predicted, I, I actually, not that I'm some kind of messiah or nothing, but I said last week I was talking on our Pat with puck seven with tone bucks. I said, dude, I guarantee it. The bills are making a trade for a wide receiver. And they did not that this is the big one. I thought maybe they might go a little bit bigger than what they did. Staying on the wide receiver thing. There's another wide receiver, the, the big guy in the bills, Kevin Benjamin, Calvin had some pretty derogatory comments about his former team, the Carolina Panthers, Cam Newton, etc. What were your thoughts when you heard
0: that? Um, the, the thing that kind of jumped at, there were a few things that jumped at me. Uh, one was the whole he had the comment about like how people who don't play the game sh- they shouldn't have opinions which i thought was i hate that really st- stupid like really yeah, dude that's, like guess, that is stupid i mean we should just cut off the, the podcast right now and not talk about kelvin benjamin like that was just like come on dude like this is like that's that's so archaic you know i
1: agree yo nationally speaking of course the Bleacher Report. I'm not sure what writer it is. I forgot already. But someone from the Bleacher Report wrote an article about training camp disappointments and included Josh Allen on that. I was like, wow. Ten. First of all, ten days in the camp, no preseason games, <laughs> and I pay attention obviously to a lot of the local media, and I've heard a mixed bag. He's looked great some days, and he's looked shitty some days. Which, by the way. Is pretty much what every single person expected. So why are national media coming down and labeling
0: your boy Josh Allen as a disappointment already? Well, I I think this goes back to uh, like my rant about training camp and how it's just, you know, you just need all this content 24-7 and all of it is just bullshit yeah and i'm sure this guy got an assignment from his editor and said hey it's it's been 10 days in training camp give me the disappointment give me a disappointment list and it's probably easy for the guy to go and go well you know josh allen like who has been like if you view it in a way of this like if you were to view it as it's a top 10 pick who has only played with the third team which i do think I'm not gonna say it's a concern because obviously we have like a, a month left until we we start really you know until the regular season starts, but it is very it is an anomaly basically for a top ten pick to be with the third team at this juncture. It really is. Like guys usually are with the second team, first team, and you're right. It is it was kind of expected a little bit. Like they were gonna really take their time with Josh Allen, just going by minicamp or OTAs when he was like the third the third quarterback. So. On that merit alone, I could see the guy st- stating like, "Hey, it's kind of a disappointment uh, in regards to that." You know, because only because by that measure. But again, I don't even think like, why are you why are you writing this after ten days? Like, it's just like, like give me a give me. If you want to do that stupid piece, do the stupid piece at the end of training camp. You know what I mean? That's when you go, "Hey, the biggest disappointment is this guy." Like, if you have Josh Allen's stats where he stunk in the preseason games, and even then you can like write that. But like. You know, 10 days before, like 10 days into it, it's just kind of like, ugh. like, seriously, go, go outside, you know, watch some baseball, you know, play with your kids, you know, write a write a letter to your congressman to try to impeach Trump, like do something else, you know, instead of like writing stupid shit like this.
1: I hate him being a third quarterback. That's the one thing I do hate. If they were, if they would have known that they were going to draft a guy as high as they were, I really wish that they didn't either sign AJ McCarron or I wish that they would have gotten rid of. Peterman right after the draft because I don't mind him not starting. In fact, I've made it very clear on this podcast several times. I don't think he should start, especially not at the beginning of the season. However, I do feel like his development's going to get stunted a little bit. You know, playing on the third team, move him up to the twos. At least let him get some uh, more consistent reps with the twos. Get rid of Peterman or knock him down the three. Or if he beats out McCarron, let McCarron go down the three. But I'm not a fan of Josh Allen. Being on the third team, you didn't pick the guy goddamn seventh in the draft to be your third team quarterback. I don't care if it's the regular season or 10 practices in.
0: No, that's a good I mean, it's a good point. I mean, I, I'm still the mindset that I'm going to wait it out a little bit longer to see that. But I'll say this. If if the plan was for him to be like the third string, like let's just say the regular season starts tomorrow and it's McCarron, Peterman and Allen yeah, in that order. That's the way it I'm going right to say now. this. I, yeah, I will go back and go, why the hell did you? Why did you trade Tyrod Taylor then? Because I think I I was I'm a Tyrod Taylor guy, as everyone on Twitter kind of knows. I would I was fine like hey fine you you don't want to get rid of him because you you don't want to pay fifteen million dollars to a guy to be the backup because my assumption was a top ten quarterback was going to play right away because that's that's always been the norm like I think like the last twenty quarterbacks picked like in the top t- top ten like eighteen of them have started at least like you know. 12 games a rookie year. So I was going by that merit alone. But if that's like the case, then I'm sorry, why, why, would, why wouldn't you keep him and then have him play and be the veteran guy to learn from and not AJ McCarron and Peter and two guys that I have like, what, four starts between them. And, you know, I don't really expect much. So that's kind of where I'm a little bit at like if it gets to that point. Uh, and you're right. Cause like, not only are you kind of in a way, you're right. Like the, the reps could be a concern. I'm still It's still early. You know, if this is that way in three weeks, then, yeah, I'm going to be like, why is he still taking third-team reps? But at the same time, I can't get excited about a guy taking third-team reps. Like, everyone who drools over, like, a Josh Allen completion, oh, he threw a 60-yard strike to some asshole who's, like, the 10th-string wide receiver over the 7th-string cornerback. I'm just like, that's great, man. If only we were in the XFL right now and, like, that was what he would be going against, you know, like – I'll get excited and I use that in quotes because I don't really get excited about August football. I'll get excited if he's with the first team and he's going against – he's going against Trey White and he buries a a throw right between – you know right into Calvin Benjamin's stomach when Trey White's right there. That's when I'll get a little bit like, ooh, I feel something. Like that seems cool. Not when he's with the third team. Like that's why I don't get excited about throws and again that goes back to my training camp diatribe but like – that's where I'm kind of adding a little bit with that. So it's still early for me. I'm not gonna push the. What the fuck is he still doing there yet? But give it a couple weeks.
1: Scale of one to ten. Preseason game Thursday opener against the Panthers. What do you got? One to ten. What's your level of excitement? Um,
0: six. Only because I've always said this. If you if you like preseason or any of that shit, you should only like it because that you you're watching football. Watching football is better than no football. If that makes any sense, like mm-hmm. at least you can watch. I can watch it on my TV or my illegal stream, <laughs> you know, whatever. I'm watching it from Queens, and like that's it. Like I, I'm, yeah, I'm not too excited because look, they're gonna have like one. I mean, it might be it might be interesting this time around because if Josh Allen is like the third team, he's he what, what is he gonna play a sec the whole second half then? Because that's wow, a third team guy usually plays. He's gonna play the a whole to play a I'd be half.
1: shocked if he doesn't play a lot Thursday.
0: Right. So we'll see.
1: By the way. Hey, stop dissing my chicken wings, man! My chicken wing voyages on Facebook and Twitter. I don't appreciate that shit. I'm on a dude. I'd right rather now.
0: hear you. Let me say this: two things. One, I'd rather hear about your album countdown. You, you lost, you lost everyone with that, man. I love the album countdown. Now you got the wing countdown. Um, I, I have always this is this isn't to like add to the brand of me being uh curmudgeon like I am on the run in, but like. I worked at a pizzeria for 10 years from when I was a teenager. I was 13 years old. I worked at my parents' pizza place from – until 2002, until I was 22 and, and graduated from college and left. Chicken wings are the easiest thing to make and I do not understand the love for chicken wings at all. All you got to do is go somewhere, you buy them in the refrigerator, you get a deep fryer, you throw them in the deep fryer, you add hot sauce, you add some butter you throw it on a grill if you want the charcoal thing, and that's it. And they're the easiest things to make, and they all taste the same to me. I'm you saying that right now me. on this podcast. You are Let making me, you Look, me
1: dude. Queens, you're making me wish the record button stopped working again. Awful. No, that's an
0: awful take, bro. Listen, down the street from me in Queens, there's a wing place called Gleason's. They got they got really good wings, and I'll, I'll give you another hot take about wings. I take them boneless.
1: Oh my god, dude.
0: Boneless wings are better because you know what? There's more meat in it. There's no, there's, you eat it. You're like, ah, all the whole thing. You don't have any of the leftover shit on a wing. They're cleaner. Also blue cheese rocks. I know you don't like blue cheese, which is weird to me. How I do you like not any like cheese? What the hell's wrong with you?
1: What? What's what the hell's wrong with you? Boneless chicken wings. And they're all taste the same.
0: Are you fucking kidding me? They all taste the same. It's the fucking red hot Franks. And they sh- throw that shit on there and that's it. Okay. The wings are easy. I made good wings, and I've tried a bunch of other wings, and they say they taste the same fucking thing. It's the same shit. That's it. You can go, Pat. I could take you if I was back home. I could take you to freaking, you know, Tops. Grab the wings out of the freaking refrigerator, throw them in a deep fryer, throw some sauce in it, and it's gonna be fine. And you're gonna be like, oh my god, the more and fucking wings are the best wings I've had because they're the same. I, That's
1: I, it. I, I just I can't with you, man. I can't do it.
0: I can't. Sorry, dude. I'm jaded because I cooked them for ten years, and I was never like sitting there going oh my god these wings are moth watering." and i'm just like okay they're wings they're deep fried you throw them in a fryer and you walk away for 10 minutes bro you come back you shake them and then you they're done that's it it's like that's it i can't respect a food item that all you do is you throw them in a fucking deep fryer you walk away you take a shit you go and talk to your friends come back 10 minutes later you pull them up you throw them in sauce and that's it
1: All right, boys and girls, that'll wrap up today's episode. Big thank you one more time to Eric Turner from the Athletic Buffalo in cover one for joining the show. Really glad I got to know him. Really engaging guy. Very intelligent person. You could see it when he breaks out in his film. Like I said many times throughout this podcast, definitely one of those guys who's a real rising star in the media. I think you're going to hear a lot about that guy for years to come. Thanks as well again to my buddy Joe for doing the running with Joe segment. I always like doing that with him. Coming up on Friday's show, I got my guy Tone Bucks with me. We're going to break down the Buffalo Bills preseason opener against the Carolina Panthers. May have a couple other guests on do a couple different things. We'll see how that goes, but that'll be on Friday. If you haven't done so already, I don't know what the hell you're possibly waiting for. Go to iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. It is quick. It is easy. It is free. I've said it a million times. You just hit that subscribe button. Bam. Don't got to do nothing else. New episodes automatically get sent right to your phone or to your computer. And if you don't have iTunes, you can also catch us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere that award-winning podcast, or I should say Future award-winning podcasts are heard. You heard it here first with that prediction. All right, have yourself a good rest of the week. We'll catch up again on Friday. Talk to you soon. Peace out.
0: Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America.